2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2020 Week 3 DraftKings Picks in preview when when I say picks my guest will have good picks Pat Mayo probably not good picks as evidence by Week two. Week one, we'll throw that out as an aberration with good picks. Week two, probably what you're used to here. If you want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings, besides all of the other ones, but really the best one, the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League on DraftKings, you can find the link in the description of this video and podcast. $15 to play. 3 max entry. No rake whatsoever. Flat payouts too. That's why it's the best tournament. You you min cash in the Pat Mayo Experience Open, you get double your money. It's not one of these, oh, 15 bucks, you get 1750 back. No, 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 no. Get at least 30 for min cash. You need to have that. That's why top prize isn't like all the money. It's only like 5,000 or 7,500, whatever it is. Anyway, best tournament on DraftKings, play in that. Smash the like for the episode. Give me your favorite sleeper on the DraftKings main slate this week. Now, I say main slate because once again, although I said it last Last week, we were talking about the main Millionaire Makers slate only. So, Sunday early games, Sunday late games, that's it. That's why we're not talking about Sunday night football. We're not talking about Monday night football. If you want to hear about Thursday night football, go to Mayo Media Network on YouTube. Subscribe to it, by the way. Check out David Jones's Thursday night football DraftKings showdown breakdown, which is up there right now. Just go check that out if you want to hear about the fucking Thursday game. I don't want to hear about it because that's not what we're talking about. Sorry to be so upset. Review the podcast. Five stars if you like it, too. Also, all the tools and stats I will be talking about today are from FTNDaily.com. You want an optimizer? Come FTNDaily.com. It's up there. Quarterback, wide receiver tools powered by Jeff Radcliffe. It is up there at FTNDaily.com. O-line, D-line, shadow coverage, area yards All the stats you need to get ahead are all up at FTNDaily.com. Use code Mayo. Get yourself a discount. Joining me. On the line from not FTNDaily.com, from EstablishTheRun.com, a, a rival site, but a good man. It's Drew Dinkmeyer. What's up?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here after that intro. I, I'm sure you've taken care of all the YouTube commenters and they will know exactly what to do.
2: Yeah. Well, how could anything go wrong? You know, you know how good people are at listening, Drew.
1: Yeah, they're very good at listening at reading the fine print. They're very good at following directions. You know, it's a very well-organized society out there. I'm sure they'll take care of it well.
2: Yeah, when we talk about society, organization and good organization (laughs) is always the first thing that comes to my mind. I really wanted to have you on this week because, A... Talking to guys that, you know, have won some million Makers is kind of nice. It uh, would lend some credibility to the show. So thank you for that. Uh, me, not winning Millionaire Makers. You, winning Millionaire Makers. That's how we're going to try to parse that out. But you're also doing something actually really good for society, uh, and that is the Welly Maker campaign. So can you tell people what's going on with the Wellie Maker and how they can help support you and that cause?
1: yeah and i only have a few more years on my statue of limitations on this millie maker win so we really gotta we really gotta roll through it because in three more years after seven years i think it's up and you just got to move on to somebody else um the Wellie maker is a campaign that i've been partnering with the good folks at charity water Uh, they're an organization that is dedicated to solving the water crisis around the world the water crisis being people around the world that don't have access to clean sustainable drinking water solutions they're having to travel miles a day to get access to water. And usually it's very dirty water that they're using to, to clean themselves and drink and whatnot. And it leads to malnourishment and keeps kids out of school and all these other things. So uh, they're a great organization. I've partnered with them the last four years. This is Wellymaker 4.0. It's running through the end of September. And the idea behind the Wellie Maker is, you know, I've played this Millie maker year after year. I've obviously uh, taken shots to change my life and have, have accomplished that. And so my, my thought process behind it was, Set aside a few entries that you would normally enter into the milli Maker each and every year, dedicate to the Wellie Maker, and instead of taking a chance at changing your life, guarantee changing someone else's life. Because on estimate, it's about $20 to $40, somewhere around there, to deliver clean, sustainable water to a single person for the rest of their life. Um, and that affects generations thereafter, uh, gives people longer longevity, uh, gives them the ability to create businesses and just live a full Um, In happy uh, and accomplished life. So uh, if you want more information on it, you can check out my Twitter, at Drew Dinkmar. There's a pin tweet there where you can donate uh, as well. But we're running through the end of September. We're matching all donations. We've raised over $32,000 so far this year. Uh, Raised over $100,000 last year, which was incredible. Um, So we're super excited and uh, and thrilled to be partnering with Charity Water once again.
2: Yeah, well, you set the bar a bit high with the $100,000 last year. (laughs) So let's try to get at least close to that number again this year. So go to Drew's Twitter profile once again like he mentioned at Drew Dinkmeyer on Twitter the pin tweet that's up there right now will show you how to do that if you have to play one less entry in the PME open this week and you donate your 15 bucks to the welly maker hey that sounds like a pretty reasonable thing to do so go check that out right now but let's talk about some DraftKings. there's a lot of injuries on this slate drew and that's going to open things up for a lot of cheap values it would appear the problem we have right now is we don't know exactly who's going to be in and who's going to be out so how do you like to approach this kind of slate like if you look at the top of the receivers just from a macro view you have like three four guys who may or may not play and Even if they do play, it seems like no one wants to play them anyway. So does that make them like good values if they play? Do you stay away from them at that point because they're too banged up? Like, what do you do with these injured guys?
1: Yeah, you know, with players that are questionable on the injury report year over year, you've kind of seen that there's a little bit of a decrease in production um, across the board on players that are listed as questionable. So the question is, does that decrease in expected production come with a decrease in ownership that would make it a worthwhile uh, risk to take on in tournaments. And that's ultimately where this stuff comes down. So a lot of those decisions for me are made, you know, Saturday night and Sunday morning when I'm getting a better idea on what ownership is going to look like for the slate. Um, But in general, I would say, you know, if you're building like one lineup or a cash game lineup or, um, you know, main tournament lineup. And you just want to take a little bit of risk off the table. In general, uh, wide receivers, running backs that are listed as questionable on in the injury report historically have underperformed uh, their baseline expectation.
2: All right. So, again, on this show, we're talking about the main slate, the millionaire maker slate. We're talking tournaments only because. I don't play cash games. I don't quite understand cash games. Cash games is like going out to a bar or going out to a club, picking up, and when they say, hey, let's get out of here, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go home and beat off instead. That's what cash games are to me versus tournaments. like you're, you're shooting for the moon here. That's what you want to do. So let's talk about running backs. Christian McCaffrey is the most expensive, but he's not playing, so he doesn't really matter at this point. He's on the injured reserve. That makes the highest-priced running back, Ezekiel Elliott, at... $8,300. It's so weird to see the top price running back at $8,300. Yeah. $8, it seems like it's been a very long time since that's happened. So it's Elliott, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Taylor with the huge price bump up 1300 bucks to $7,000. And then from sixty-five dollars to $7,000, you have Chubb, Eckler, Connor, Chris Carson, and... Raheem Colonel Mustard, who's probably not going to play but he has not been officially ruled out as we are recording this right now Tevin Coleman has been so the I want to start with him so if he plays no one's going to play him that kind of makes some sense yeah. I don't expect him to play at the Giants so that leaves Jarek McKinnon who is completely andercursed this week so I recommend no one play him Does that mean I have to play Jeff Wilson jr.
1: Well, I think Jeff Wilson Jr., uh, regardless of the Anarcha situation, was probably the more compelling tournament play just in general, because he's the guy that, you know, is kind of coming out of nowhere that'll keep ownership down. Everybody McKinnon is, you know, this spark score freak that people have been excited about for years uh, to see kind of in a full role. But we also saw that, you know, San Francisco has reasons to be, you know, conscientious of the workload that they give McKinnon. He's coming off of a big injury. Uh, they want to use him as kind of a passing down back. They want to have kind of a backfield rotation. And so as a result, I, th- I think McKinnon is the play that was that's kind of sexy, but a little bit overpriced. And I think Wilson is, is kind of the play that's a little bit more sneaky and a little bit better of a tournament play. He's down at only 4,000, which, you know, this year on DraftKings with the minimum price level on running backs kind of bumped up. And some of these guys like Mike Davis filling in for Christian McCaffrey up in the 5,000s. You don't get a lot of running backs in the 4,000s that are usable. So I don't think he's going to command a ton of ownership because, as you mentioned, so many of the running backs, 8,300 and below, are priced at a level that's not really uh, prohibitive of building out strong lineups. So I think you're going to see a lot of those 6,000 to 8,300 running backs garner ownership. I think Jeffrey Wilson is pretty interesting at four thousand for tournaments.
2: So and when you look at Jeffrey Wilson and he's the guy that comes in to steal all the touchdowns anyway in like random yeah. weeks. Uh, so if you yeah. just take out some of the guys in the Niners backfield, and then when you if he somehow lucks his way into um, let's say, I don't know, a big share of the let's say Jamichael Hasty is active but isn't really a part of this running game whatsoever Kyle use check doesn't really do anything besides steal a catch or two have two carries you hope he doesn't pill for a touchdown so then you just have Jarek and you've narrowed it down to Jeff Wilson Jr. I can see Jeff Wilson Jr. out touching at least on the ground like garnering yeah. more carries yeah. than Jarek if he's going to garner more carries I would expect him to be in near the goal line and it's against the Giants who stink
1: yeah I fully agree with all that I, I think you also have to think through with with the 49ers this is a team that you know, their plan is to use McKinnon the whole year. Their plan is not to use Jeffrey Wilson the whole year, right? So in a game against the Giants where they they should be playing from ahead, a team that has struggled um, to stop the run so far, uh, you know, early on, I think this is a great spot to give Jeff, Jeff Wilson, like, you know, 15 carries and give McKinnon his like 10 touches with most, you know, half of those coming through the passing game and maybe working a little bit, a little bit of hasty and, and with Wilson getting the goal line work. So, I think it's not that unreasonable to think that Wilson could project ahead of McKinnon um, in terms of overall touches in this situation. Just when you think about what the 49ers are trying to accomplish for the rest of the year, when you already have some running backs banged up and you're trying to get through the whole year with a rotation of guys. and You've got this this player coming off this severe injury on a turf that they've already noted they have concerns about playing on. I think it's a good spot for Jeff Wilson. So what do we actually, besides Jeff Wilson, if you want to throw
2: him in tournament plays, I tend to like him this week. Last week, I had a choice between Zeke and Derrick Henry. It came down to those two. Guess who I chose, Drew? (laughs) I'm going to guess Derrick Henry based on your intro
1: into the show, Pat.
2: Yeah, it wasn't great. But 25 (laughs) carries on the ground, 84 yards. That's... I mean, the 25 carries is fantastic. He gets that again. (laughs) If you can tell me I can take a running back and he's going to get 25 carries in a game, probably going to play that guy more often than not. So
1: am I just going back to him again against Minnesota? I think he's an exceptional play once again. I mean, we saw last week with with Indianapolis, they just fed the ball to Jonathan Taylor over and over again against Minnesota. Minnesota's (laughs) offense has struggled so much early in the season in terms of uh, sustaining drives and, and other teams have just been able to do whatever they want at the line of scrimmage with them. So I think it's a good spot for Derek Henry. I think the ownership will be much, much more in check uh, after last week. He was one of the highest owned players alongside Zeke, alongside Jonathan Taylor last week. I think that'll come down and, and make some certainly in play both for cash games and tournaments. Honestly, again, I know some people are going to feel like, oh, you can't go back to him at, at, at those prices near 8,000 cash games without a passing game role. But I mean, you're looking at, I I don't know, the floor on him might be like 18 touches and the ceiling is like 35. I mean, we saw him get the ball 30 times in week one. And as long as Darrington Evans is still out, uh, they don't really have a backup running back on the roster that they trust. So I know, you know, they they moved the ball. They scored 30 points last week. None of it went to him in the red zone. That's a little bit of an anomaly. I would expect a bounce back week from Derrick Henry this
2: week. Do you think he is the best play from this top? And like, if you're going to eat the chalk on one of these guys, would it be him? Or do you continuously no. have to roll out Zeke just because the, the over-under in that game is so ridiculous?
1: Yeah, so if you're talking top end guys like just Zeke and Derrick Henry and you cool. know Dalvin, I would say I would say Henry is kind of the best guy. But once you get down to like Taylor and even a little bit further into like James Conner, Sanders, I think because of prices you start to get some competition there. Um, so I would say I would say Jonathan Taylor of that like 7k and up group is probably my favorite play really and then I think Zeke yeah I think Zeke and Henry are pretty similar after that so I guess I have
2: a few concerns about Jonathan Taylor in this matchup despite the fact that Colonel Mostart was able to take it 80 yards to the house against the Jets on the first play of the game they actually held the running game in check after that they held the running game in check in week one they were one of the top three teams in football against the run last year so I'm not totally convinced that all of a sudden the Jets have a bad run defense, and that seemed like what they wanted to do with Jonathan Taylor, just kind of run him up the gut, run him up the gut, run him up the gut. I actually think this is kind of a trap game for the Colts. I think this game is going to be a little bit closer. Like, the Colts don't really impress me all that much, and, we yeah. and Rivers can kind of turn the ball over into close games a lot of the time, and I you do can. worry that unless they jump out by a bunch, like everything we expected last week, where, oh, that was a three-point game, it's going to be close. We're going to see a lot, some Taylor, but we're going to see a lot of Naheem Hines too. This game starts being within seven points not the blowout, like everyone kind of expects, like we saw with the Colts last week, that
1: I think we're going to get like 40% Hines in this game. That will be really interesting to monitor because, you know, I, I was of the belief, and I, I played Hines a decent bit in tournaments last week because I thought Hines was a great pivot off Taylor last week. Um, but I, I thought, you know, after week one, we saw them in more neutral game scripts against the Jags. We saw Hines on the field quite a bit. So I kind of thought that would hold. It really didn't hold in week two. And so it's interesting to see how game script dependent these two are going to be. The thing that I'll note about Taylor, though, is if the game script is more neutral. Yes, he's probably sharing the field a little bit more with Hines, but he's also catching more passes. You know, we saw him catch six balls in, in week one. We saw the, the receptions kind of come down in week two. And I still think there's a lot of different paths for success there with Jonathan Taylor. And I think the one path that you're concerned about most is if they get, you know, play from behind and the, and the game script really goes against him. And it's just really hard to see the Jets with the way they're playing <laughs> offensively, pulling ahead from anybody enough that it would kind of force that situation. So I think Taylor and, and Henry are somewhat similar. Henry's, you know, base volume is a little bit more guaranteed. Um, but I think for $800 cheaper with a little bit more of a defined passing game role, I like Taylor slightly more than Henry.
2: It's going to be about the savings this week. And if you're not going to be paying up at wide receiver, which with all these injuries, maybe you can't even at this point that you might have the extra money to yeah. go up and get Henry. I would just feel better about that because uh, regardless if they're winning or losing, he's probably still going to get us 25 touches either way. And they're probably all going to be carries yeah. for some reason, even if they're down by yeah. 14. Just turn around and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry. I think Taylor's interesting. To say the least, just because I don't have a great feel for it, that you know I'm a coward, so that would lead me away from him. <laughs> That's probably the, the variance you want to embrace. Can he get up to 25 touches in this game, even if it's pieced together through 18 on the ground and like seven through the air, depending on how fast paced this game is? The Jets are playing at an incredibly fast pace. Now they're always down by 40 points, so yeah. that tends to make a bit more sense. I'm I, I just kind of just iffy on the entire thing. If you went below that, you have like the Chubs. Um, yeah, like I, I guess. I don't want to leave Aaron Jones for a second, because if Devontae Adams doesn't play like the splits with Adams and Jones, like with Devontae Adams, not in the pitcher and Aaron Jones on the field. I don't care how much one A, one B talk they're doing. Aaron Jones eats when Devontae Adams gets hurt.
1: Yeah. And and the reason is, I mean, Devontae Adams is just eating up so much of the target share that you start getting. Aaron Jones into a situation where he's got the potential to land a 15% target share, or something like that, or even higher. And that passing game volume is just huge. And obviously, he's been a very efficient back during the course of his career. Um, he was a play. He was obviously the big difference-making player in week two. If you had him, um, he was one of the players that I, that Mike Leone and, and myself had identified as one of the best uh, tournament plays on the slate. So it was a good week for us as a result. Um, I think he'll command ownership after last week, which is the tricky part. So I, I would personally like to see. Devontae Adams in to kind of spread the ownership between those two. Um, it's a situation with Green Bay though, where they don't have a ton of offensive playmakers, right? They, you know, they notoriously invested this, this draft capital in two players that are not even playing <laughs> this year in the first and second round with a backup quarterback and a, and a third string running back. So um, it'll be, it'll be a very interesting injury situation to follow with Devontae Adams, but that's obviously one that um, has a huge impact on Aaron Jones
2: so i think that the you know must-have play of week three is in this six thousand dollar range and again this tool up on FTNDaily.com for both offense and defense shows adjusted line yards for for the offensive line and adjusted line yards against for the defensive line Uh, so if you look at the bottom five in the league right now through two weeks and adjusted line yards against you have cincinnati the raiders the texans the rams And the Lions. Now, Kenyon Drake shaping up. He's he's still cheap for some reason. I guess the touchdowns really haven't followed. Uh, And the 30 touches and the big runs haven't happened. But Miles Sanders is sitting there. I don't know why he wasn't bumped up in price at all.
1: But he's $6,400 against a bad defense. Yeah, I think Miles Sanders is the best play on the slate um, at the running back position. And I think it's not particularly close. Um, you've got a situation with Philadelphia where they, they brought him back in week two, you know, week one, apparently the injury wasn't so severe. It was more of a, we want to make sure he's hundred percent. And then they gave those indications during the course of the week after some full practices that he was going to be unleashed. And he was uh, 20 plus touches, got a lot of goal line works, uh, work in the passing game. And now you've got a situation again, where Jalen Rieger uh, hurt again for Philadelphia with a, with a UCL, uh, Spraying in his thumb, I believe, and so you've just got this this issue where they don't have a lot of options uh, to throw the ball that they're going to throw the ball confidently to. So you're going to see more Zach Ertz, you're going to see more Dallas Goddard, you're obviously going to see some Deshaun Jackson shots down the field, but you're going to see an awful lot of Miles Sanders. And the last time we saw Cincinnati. We saw Nick Chubb running up and down the field. We saw Kareem Hunt running up and down the field. And uh, I think this week we'll see Miles Sanders running up and down the
2: field. Yeah, and he gets enough work in the passing game, too, that if he can't get it going on the ground, you still think that he's locked into those goal line touches, but he might pick up four, five, six catches along the way. And I can see the same thing with Drake, too, in an easier matchup against yeah. the Lions. Uh, for reference, the five best teams in adjusted line yards, against so the most difficult defenses to run on, at least on a per-play basis so far this year, have been the Steelers, the Jets, the Saints the Browns and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers but Washington is inside the top 10 as well and I know I I actually can't get a good feel for Nick Chubb
1: I don't want to play him but do you think people will want to play him I don't think so Um, I think if you look at kind of this list of options people are going to want to play Zeke people are going to want to play I think people are going to want to play Jonathan Taylor because he rewarded their faith last week I think people are going to want to play Chris Carson just because of the game environment, you know, the the Dallas Seattle total will be enough, and Carson's done enough with touchdown variants early in the season to to kind of get there and reward people. And I think people want to play Miles Sanders and Kenyon Drake, so I, I think Chubb is is going to fall a little bit by the wayside. I think Austin Eckler is going to be a guy people want to play as well. Um, so I think Chubb is is going to go go modestly owned at most. I don't think he'll be highly owned. Hmm. I think I'm going to pass on Nick Chubb
2: here. Eckler. I don't know whether he's going to be popular or not because I can th- I can see people just paying down
1: for Joshua Kelly instead. That could be the case, and obviously Carolina has been a pretty favorable, just you know, run defense to to go against in general, and one that you want to be able to attack. Um, but it's really not that. This is the thing with the DraftKings pricing this year; it's not that big of a difference. I know, like 1,800 feels like so much. But when you've got one guy who catches passes and the other guy who's unproven in that role, and I think the nice thing that we saw from the Chargers version of the offense last week with Justin Herbert, who's going to start again this week, uh, pending he doesn't get attacked by his own training staff, (laughs) is is that they're going to throw the ball and they're going to check the ball down to the running backs a little bit. There were more designed kind of passing plays for Austin Eckler in that game. So it'll be interesting to see the ownership Uh, discrepancy between those two players because I think Eckler is very clearly a strong play and I think Kelly is more of an okay play and given the strength of the running back plays on the slate, I probably won't have very much Josh Kelly at all. I think I'd just rather have Mike
2: Davis, right, where Joshua Kelly is from the same game, although it's a tougher matchup. I think that he is probably going to be, it depends on if they activate Reggie Bonifan uh, towards him, because I don't think Trenton Cannon's going to be doing anything. So if you can lock him into, like, the 80% of the snap share and have them trailing, and he's just going to be the guy standing in front of Teddy Bridgewater, just soaking up receptions, like, at the end of last week, like, he's going to pay off the 5,100 pretty quickly, it seems like, but... With Eckler, my biggest problem is, well, the matchup is great, and maybe this works out for DraftKings tournaments. I just don't think he's going to have any close scores. Like, if he's going to score, it's almost like the Devin Singletary thing from last year, where if he's going to score, it's going to be more than a 20-yard touchdown. Because when they get in close, it's either Herbert calling his own number,
1: or it's Joshua Kelly. Well, he has gotten some looks there. You know, he rotated series there kind of in Game 1, and then Kelly was used a little bit more uh, kind of in Game 2. So it will be interesting to see how how they go forward on that. Um, but that's obviously the concern with Eckler, and that's the thing that will probably keep ownership down. I think that the good news, obviously, is if the ownership is kept down at all, um, Eckler is so good at breaking big plays, this is something we've seen throughout his career, really, uh, that he doesn't necessarily need the short yardage to get there, right? He can get there through the passing game and through breaking off you know 20-plus yard plays. So I think he's very interesting in tournaments. Um, and then who you mentioned before, Kenyon Drake, I think. It'll be really interesting to see what the field does with Kenyon Drake because – So far, what we've seen from Arizona is a very concentrated offensive effort through DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray is doing so much damage on the ground that Kenyon Drake has been somewhat limited in those opportunities. But you also look at kind of who Arizona has faced the first two weeks, and they faced San Francisco. This was before uh, the, the Nick Bosa injury. And as a result, they had you know one of the strongest defensive lines and one of the best pass rushes in the league. And Washington, also one of the best pass rushes in the league. And that encourages Kyler Murray to run. Detroit does not. Detroit has no pass rush. It's basically a pretty clean pocket whenever you want to sit back there. And so as a result, I'm interested to see if Kenyon Drake gets a little bit more of the workload. It's been frustrating that Chase Edmonds is kind of uh, snuck in and captured some of the role in the passing game. And as a result, I think there's a lot of question marks about how to project Kenyon Drake and I'm really interested to see what that does to his ownership because you've got the high the you know one of the highest individual team totals on the slate with Arizona over 30 here. And you've got a 6K running back that everybody liked in the preseason and had him going you know late first round, early second round in seasonal drafts. And that should be a smash but I think because of the first two weeks and because people are going to want to play Kyler, I think Drake's ownership might get a little bit, a little bit cut um, in this game to where it's not overbearing, and I, I think he's going to be one of the more interesting plays on the slate. If you wanted to pivot,
2: and let's say you still wanted to use Kyler, I would expect people to use Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins. Could you just take Hopkins out of that, or maybe not even take him out of it, but add Drake into that stack because he is going to catch passes?
1: You can add Drake into it. I think you, if you're playing Kyler, he needs to be paired with at least one wide receiver. Um, because, yes, Kyler and Drake can connect on a touchdown, but otherwise, if they don't, then you're looking at basically finding a way that Kyler gets like two rushing touchdowns and Drake gets two rushing touchdowns. And it's more likely that Kyler you know, would have passing touchdowns. So I think Kyler should always be paired with a wide receiver or tight end. Uh, but I do think Drake can be added into those because he's not particularly expensive. They have a team total that's enough that it could support three Kyler Murray passing touchdowns and two Kenyon Drake rushing t- t- touchdowns. And that's enough.
2: Okay. So the other guys from this range, you have Leonard Fournette with a big price boost. I don't know if I'm necessarily buying all the way into Leonard Fournette, especially at this price with much better pay down options. He's at 62 Kareem hunt, I think is a better play than Nick Chubb at $6,100, mm-hmm. but almost like the jets being sneaky in that Colts game. I like Washington. Uh, Against the Browns, I don't think the Browns are all that good, and I think the pressure from up front, which you talked about, uh, is going to get to Baker Mayfield. So you might need the quick dump-off guy on the field uh, in closer games. You might not be able to run it up the middle for six yards per carry here, but it's actually James Conner because the Texans' run
1: defense has been really bad through two games. It has um, against the Chiefs and the Ravens, (laughs) right? Against the two best teams in the NFL, uh, arguably. So it's tough. It's tough to gauge. But I think Connor's a really strong play too. Um, early, our first set of pro, uh, uh, projections run has Connor as the second best value overall at the running back position behind Miles Sanders. Um, he got the bulk of the workload last week. It was kind of slow go for him until the very end of the game when he busted off a really really long run. But he was consistently getting the bulk of the work. the The challenge was the the Steelers were just so pass happy last game. And they didn't really face much of a pass rush. So they were, they were getting, you know, kind of the looks they want down the field. And so I, I think it'll be interesting to see with Connor if he can hold that workload. Obviously, Benny Snell looked good in week one. I think people are, I, I'm really interested to see the ownership on like Connor and Eckler and Carson. So all these guys are priced right around one another. And someone is gonna get forgotten and be a really good tournament play. And I'm just not sure who it is yet. Um, I kind of came into the week thinking this would be a really good Carson leverage week because I thought people were really going to be on that Seattle-Dallas passing game. But I, I think people are still going to play Carson in those mixes. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's Eckler. Who do you who do you think would be the lowest owned of that trio? It's probably going to be Connor, but here's my
2: hot take on the entire thing. I think that no one is going to use these guys because I think it's a very clear build of what you mm-hmm. can do at running back. You can use, it's just like, I don't think anyone's going to own Delvin cook against the Titans. Yeah. Like it'll be Zeke or Henry. That will be your first running back. Yeah. In, and then Miles Sanders will be your second running back. Yeah. And then, and if then you, Drake, and then you want to save money. Now it'll be like Mike Davis or Jarek McKinnon okay. or one of the cheap guys just to round out your roster. Cause people want to pay up. Maybe if Deandre Hopkins is the only decent payout receiver, who's not good. Maybe that changes things, but if people can find
1: cheap running backs, they're going to play cheap running backs. It'll be interesting because there are some cheap wide receivers as well that can really open up salary. So I can see it like kind of either way, but I really think the best plays at the running back position on this slate are in the 6K range. And if it's not going to be played, man, they're really good tournament plays. Yeah, you could go like
2: Sanders, Drake, Connor as your two running backs and a flex. And it's not
1: like you're paying all the way up to the top. No, that's like the same type of spend as Zeke and like Davis and Sanders, you know, like Zeke and Davis are, you know, 13 ish and Connor and, you know, Carson or whatever, are 13 ish. Like it's the same. And I think there's way more upside in the two six K guys than there is Zeke and Davis. I think Davis is, he's going to, he's a guy that's going to look good on projections You're probably look. people are going to play him and through three quarters, they're going to be furious with themselves (laughs) for playing him. They're just going to be like, what did I do? Like, how did I play this guy who has like 27 rushing yards on like 10 carries and he has two catches and Carolina can't move the ball. And then it'll come down to whether he gets enough checkdowns to kind of pay it off. And he certainly can at 5,100, but. I'm skeptical of the upside uh, for Mike Davis. So, like, I'd much rather play these 6K guys than Mike Davis in tournaments. So,
2: if we do talk about these sub $6,000 running backs, I think Davis has to be talked about as one of the legitimate options that's down there. I think Joshua Kelly is, I don't want to say a legit option, but I... I guess if people are going to do that build that I just said, they're going to use Davis over, they're going to use Kelly. But that's a potential high upside game. I did see, I mean, Jarek is right there. If Mossard is actually ruled out, people will use him at 4900 Like I said, I prefer Jeff Wilson in that yeah. sense. But Zach Moss mispracticed today on Wednesday. We're speaking on a Wednesday evening. Uh, you're watching this at you know, at earliest Thursday morning at 5 a.m. when the show comes out. This one shows come out for the Pat Mayo experience, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, but Devin Singletary is $4,900. And the Rams kind of shitty again the run
1: yeah it would be really interesting if moss sat um they're just running so much of that offense through josh allen you know their their situation neutral adjusted pass rate is is skyrocketed this year they're playing a little bit faster they're doing a lot of like analytics oriented things uh that i only know because i work with mike leone who is just like on cloud nine that the bills are doing smart things and josh allen uh, looks like a potential mvp candidate so i I'm interested, but if, if there was no Moss, certainly like 4,900, he would be a better play to me than Mike Davis, a better play than Josh Kelly, a better play than, um, Jarek Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. A better play than all those guys. Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. And then uh, other than that,
2: like, if you looked at like Jeff Wilson, if you want to pay the minute 4,000, that makes sense to me. Naheem Hines is really the only other one. I guess you could talk yourself into Gibson or uh, even James Robinson in the five yeah. uh, or not James so Robinson, Gib- but. Um, Gibson
1: is interesting just because he took He started to take a, a decent portion of the workload, um, but you know Cleveland's defensive front is is pretty good, and Washington's offensive line is is not so good. So it's not the greatest spot, but there's going to be there's going to be a big Antonio Gibson game at some point. So I don't mind taking a chance on him in tournaments. Um, I don't mind DeAndre Swift's price tag in tournaments in like game stack situations for Detroit and Arizona, and just hope he gets. The, the role that everybody is going to project for Mike Davis in terms of pass catching volume, um, just with like a little bit more efficiency. And then the guy that I would say below 6,000 that you didn't mention there that everybody had is like a late first round pick this year. And everybody is, is souring on because of Gio Bernard's role in the passing game. But Joe Mixon is 5,900. And there's going to be a week at some point where they like scheme him more into the passing game. There just you'd, is. You'd, you'd hope so. There, there just has to be. I mean, they paid him for a reason, right? So, like, I, I think he's an interesting guy to take take some shots on in tournaments, um, especially if you're playing that Philadelphia game, um, because both those teams, you know, played pretty fast in terms of pace. Cincinnati got off, like, 60 pass plays on Thursday night last week. So I, I think Mixon uh, would be be a low-owned target in GPPs as well.
2: It seems like they're I mean, I, Mixon kind of falls in a dead range for me only because they're not passing to him enough That's out of why. the backfield. And I I, I get the logic behind it, but it's also a tough run defense against philly it's like the one part of their defense that's actually playing yep. well so it's it's the high potential high volume yep. guy, but all the guys right next them are all potential high volume guys in like really crappy matchups like melvin gordon's the last man standing in denver but he reeks yeah. he has to like luck yeah. his way into a touchdown if that's going to be the case for him so i don't like that david montgomery is like Ugh, if they're gonna be behind is he even gonna be on the field i mean they might end up throwing like Cordero patterson uh yep. daryl henderson's the only healthy running back for the rams but the other Or two might end up playing. And then David Johnson, I still don't know the status of Duke Johnson, but even if he plays, does it really matter? But it's against Pittsburgh, so do you even want to play him at this point? Because David Johnson is the perfect example of this of and I know that taking a one case scenario and looking at it over a week is like, oh, that's stupid. We should actually, you know, do this most of the time, where it's a good running back who has all the volume in a bad matchup. This is a perfect leverage play. People did that with David Johnson last week against Baltimore. It just didn't work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the, the thing that I'd point out about trying to do that against Baltimore is it's really hard to get volume against Baltimore because they limit plays so steadily. So even if you're getting a high percentage of the share, it's hard to maintain drives against them. And it's hard to keep them from not grinding the clock because they run the ball so effectively. So this is where I think like I, I think if you're going to take shots like of that group, give me the guy who has some juice in, in Joe Mixon. And and we've seen Philadelphia like play down to their competition through the first two weeks of the season. They have not looked like a good team. I know, you know, run run defense has been a strength for them, especially over the years. Um, but they have not looked like a good team just in general right now. And so I think Mixon is, is I, I think he's gonna be sub five percent. Well, we've just talked about every running back and how you should play all of
2: them. So when they go off, you <laughs> can credit us for that one. Um, so just to kind of recap running backs a little bit, Sanders is yeah. the play.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think Sanders is the top play. I would say that for me, Zeke and Henry are both very strong high-end spends. I think the depth of the position makes it so that they're not a necessity. Um, I think Connor Carson and Eckler are really, really strong plays, and I'm really interested to see where projected ownership comes in on them. And I think Kenyon Drake is a really strong play. Um, I honestly like you can you can consider like Mike Davis as as a cash game option, but I'd really prefer to stay 6K and above. For my cash game running backs this week i think you can kind of look in other places to get salary relief um if you need to go down the the guy mike davis is going to project as the best cash game option because of the passing game volume but if you're going down in tournaments it would be jeff wilson for me and then I think Joe Mixon is, is the sub 5% owned guy that has some juice to him. Whereas some of these other sub 5% owned guys like Melvin Gordon, Dave Montgomery, I don't think they've got like the juice to break off a couple of big runs and change the slate.
2: Yeah. You're really going to have to lock into like two or three touchdowns from these guys. Yeah. If you want to break a slate and that's just hard to bank on. So we moved to wide receiver and I want to apologize to everyone. I yelled at, at the very beginning of the show, about not talking about, you know, main slate <laughs> games. I completely forgot that the Packers and saints game was the Sunday night game. I, for whatever reason, I thought it was one of the late games. There's a lot of go- but late games this week is the problem uh, when you pack it all into it. But DeAndre Hopkins is the healthy guy, he's number one, he's $7,900. Then you got Julio, who's like missing practice, but nothing yeah. new for Julio. Uh, $7,400. Calvin Ridley is $72. Stephen Diggs, who no one is going to use this week, is $7,000. Then you have Thielen Evans, Godwin, who should return, Juju, Amari Cooper, and DK Metcalf. So I think you have a few options here. It seems like everyone is going to use DeAndre Hopkins because he's the healthy elite option. He's been amazing through two games. Julio, no one is going to use because he's coming off a bad game Mm -hmm. and he's already banged up. Ridley, Mm -hmm. they will go to. No one's going to use Diggs, although I have been told by Tim Andercust that Diggs is the must sit of the week and he may or may not oh, have no. he may or may not have a <laughs> bet where he uh he projected Stefan Diggs for fewer than eight fantasy points this week. So could be a nice upside situation for a low-owned Steph Diggs who's looked pretty amazing in the first two games. Yeah. But it does seem like, oh, Seattle, Dallas,
1: jam. That's the move. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the the top owned wide receivers are gonna be you know, the Seattle Dallas guys, Lockett, uh, Amari Cooper, DK Metcalf, they're all pretty much priced identically, $6,400, 6500 um, I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to garner a lot of ownership. And then I think depending on Julio's situation, if the reports are still that he's like questionable and kind of limpy, I think Ridley will command ownership. Uh, the rest of that graphic, not going to command ownership, right? Um, Adam Thielen, really interesting tournament play this week. Um There should be a lot of volume there. At some point, their plays are going to regress, where they're going to actually be able to run enough plays. I know it doesn't feel like the right matchup to do it against a Tennessee team that can dominate time of possession, but um, he's going to be an interesting tournament play. And then, you know, we'll see if Kenny Galladay returns. He's 6,200 in a really good game environment against Arizona after Terry McLaurin kind of went off against them last week. I could see him garnering some ownership if he got really, really promising practice reports. Um, But otherwise, you know, it'll be really interesting because I think there's a lot of guys, let's say below that Lockett, Metcalf, Cooper range that have compelling matchups or compelling volume, but it's so easy to get to Cooper and Lockett and Metcalf that I think their ownership is going to be pushed way down. Do you have a preference? Like, how do
2: we approach – maybe we just take a sidebar and talk about this Dallas and Seattle game because that's a yeah. game that everyone wants a piece of. How do you go about that? Like, do you play – like, I, Kevin Adams from FTN won a bunch of money last week by – some people say, "Oh, well, that's that's the game everyone's stacking." So you know, I'll take yeah. I'll take the pieces that you know no one wants, or I'll fade that game and try to get tricky. He went the other way. He just overexposed himself to that game and just took more of this instead of like uh, there was like a triple stack and then a double yep. stack coming back. Like if you really do believe that this is the game where all the points are going to be, is that
1: the move in this circumstance? Is not only stack but stack way more than everyone else. So I think the answer really depends on where the ownership lies, and so. This is something that I, I touched on in my GPP leverage column uh, established on last week, which was essentially that Atlanta Dallas was the clear top targeted game on the slate for me. Uh, it was highlighted in Pat Thorman's snaps and pace column that we have on our site as a game that was pace up for both teams. Uh, it was two teams that had pretty good price tags on their wide receivers and two quarterbacks that were pretty compelling to stack because the offenses are concentrated in terms of who they throw the ball to. And I think that all those cases can be made once again for Dallas and Seattle. The thing is, last week, all of their receivers, the projected ownership was like 15 to 20. And I thought that was too low. So I was also very overweight this game in general and and had a lot of it. And the way that I decided to differentiate myself was all of my DAC stacks, I removed Ezekiel Elliott from. My thought process on that was just that DAC and Zeke are going to be so owned individually that the combination of them is going to be more owned than it probably should be. And so I'm just going to focus my attention on the receiving options. It got me onto like five to ten percent Dalton Schultz. It got me overweight Cooper Gallup and C.D. Lamb, and then I was overweight the the Atlanta wide receivers. And if you're overweight Ridley enough, and those you, you get some combinations that work. And so the question for me this week is where will this ownership come in? If it's in that fifteen to twenty five percent mark again, I think it's all systems go, and you take advantage and you start to. Try to play it heavily, but I think if it gets into the 25 to 35 range, now you're starting to now you're starting to kind of face an uphill battle in terms of getting to the top of the leaderboard with that game, and that's where I might play a little bit more Chris Carson if he's going to end up being low owned, and hope the the let Russ cook movement takes a week off, and Seattle decides to go back to their kind of slow pace, uh, control the clock ways, and keep Dallas's offense off the field, which I could certainly see them approaching that game with. Um, but the answer to your question, Pat, is ultimately it really comes down to what I think the ownership is going to be by the end of the week. And that's something I just don't have a good feel for until we get more clarity on injury situations.
2: And so so what do you do with just independently these wide receivers? Because like you said, they're very close in price. Yeah. DK Metcalf sixty five, Tyler Lockett is sixty four. I prefer I always think that the higher upside kind of rests with DK Metcalf, but I just see this as such a good spot for Tyler Lockett. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I have no idea how to separate them, honestly. I mean, I, I think Lockett's one of the most efficient receivers in the history of the NFL. When you look at yards per target, you look at catch rate. Uh, Metcalf is just an absolute physical freak and is the guy that you would think would be more targeted heavily in the red zone, but also has the big play ability, as we saw um, last week, to, to break off these big plays. So they're they're indistinguishable to me. I think we have Lockett slightly ahead between the two, but both great values. I mean, both two of the top six or seven values at the wide receiver position this week. Um, Amari Cooper in that you know top three or four as well. So, you know, the way that I handle them generally, because I'm making a lot of lineups, is I basically kind of spread my exposures uh, to three of them. So last week I capped my wide receiver exposures at like 25%. I had no wide receiver more than 25% of lineups. Um, it will depend on the the ownership projection of this game and what I'm trying to do. But in general, I try to I try to cap my ownership exposure somewhere around 25 to 30, because what I want is there's always receivers coming out of nowhere for big games. Like last week it was Stefan Diggs, who was like 2% owned. I probably had like 10 to 15% of him because I capped my ownership on some of the higher end options. And I took a position against like Devontae Adams last week. And so I think, I think that's a way to approach tournaments and it just really comes down to the difference between, and I know it seems small and minuscule to people out there, But the difference between a player owned at 15% and owned at 25% is really big in terms of the bar that they need to hit from a production standpoint to really separate you from the field.
2: So what about the Dallas side? Like You said you have Amari Cooper projected very highly, but I think he's. Gonna yeah. be the, I think he may be the lowest owned of the Dallas receivers. There's always going to be interesting. There's the narrative that, you know, he doesn't play very well outside. The other guys are both cheaper. And if you want to use Metcalf or Lockett, you can have a little bit of savings if you go down to Lamb or up yeah. in this spot. I don't think it's going to be like substantial, but I don't think, I, I, think... I don't think that Cooper stands out in ownership at least, at least in my mind, the way that I'm kind of, piecing this yeah. all together because
1: you know everyone's paying down for Schultz <laughs> so I think Gallup is going to be the lowest known of the Dallas receivers because he just hasn't had the production that's like shown up in the box score yet and people love when they make their lineups they love clicking on that DraftKings profile they love looking at the fantasy points in the most recent games and Amari Cooper I believe is at the 100 yard bonus in both games so he's had pretty good box scores um, C.D. Lamb uh, got the 100-yard bonus last week, so he's had decent box scores. And C.D. Lamb, I think, is going to draw the the wide receiver cornerback matchup in terms of playing in the slot with what you know Seattle has allowed to slot receivers, as we saw with Julian Edelman last week. I think he'll draw some of the attention there. So I think Gallup is going to be the piece that's a little bit less owned of the trio. Um, Schultz is interesting to see where the ownership is because tight end is tricky this week. Um, you know, there's no like – There's nobody sub 3,500 that people are going to be excited to play. And so you get all these guys that are like 37 to 45 or so that people are going to be kind of batting around. Um, so I'm interested to see, but I think Gallup will be the lowest owned of that group. I don't think he'll be, I don't know. I think he might be sub 10, but might be like that seven, eight range where it's not super low, but it's low enough that you can kind of play and take an overweight position on in GPPs. Um, but I like I like Cooper the most. I, I do want to see where his ownership comes in. If you think it's going to be lower than uh then I'm even more excited to play him.
2: Yeah, that's just my initial lean on it. I think there's enough narratives that you can build against Murray Cooper that you know people who build. I mean, you're talking about building a lot of lineups too. If I was only building like three, yeah. if I was only building like three lineups, how do I approach this game? Do you really just have to make concrete positions and hope you're right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you you know, when you're only making a handful of lineups, you do have to kind of take stands. And that's the difference between like talking about lineup sets when you're making 150 versus when you're making 20 versus when you're making 10 versus when you're making five or three. I mean, three, you have you, you, you have to make a big stand, right? Like you're probably going to play at, at, at minimum every time you play guys in 33% of your lineups. So you're already bigly overweight most guys. Um, so yeah, you just, just based on the number of lines you're creating, it really does impact the stands that you take.
2: So what about the tertiary pieces of this game? We talked about Schultz. You say the Carson, I think that Carson could be decent leverage in this game. People are going to use Z yeah. regardless. Does that leave like
1: founder of Mickey Mouse, Walt Disney as someone you could use? <laughs> yeah. Um, Disley is probably pretty fringy, um, but in large lineup sets, I, I think you could you could use that. Russ does spread it around enough that there would be some opportunity there. Uh, what I would be looking for from this game is one of the main skill players that their ownership projection comes in around 10% or below. Anybody that you get on that, whether it's the two primary Seattle receivers, which I don't think they'll qualify, whether it's one of the three Dallas wide receivers, which I think Gallup will qualify, but we'll see, um, or whether it's Carson, who I maybe has a chance to get there. Those plays, I think, would be really good leverage plays and, and plays to, if you want to play this game heavily and against chalk, like let's say you get a situation where Cooper and Lamb are projected at 20 to 25% ownership, Lockett and Metcalf are 20 to 25% ownership, and you still want to play this game. Maybe you go away from the quarterbacks, And you play Gallup and you play Carson and you hope that Gallup hits one of those big plays down the field. And you hope Seattle takes kind of the approach that they've taken for the last few years and take the air out of the ball and and run the ball. And that's the way you kind of get contrarian exposure to this game.
2: I'm just really having a tough time wrapping my mind around it. Like, I didn't have enough of the Dallas and Falcons game last week, and it really came back to bite me. Like, the, the two things I've decided to fade through two weeks are Josh Jacobs in week one and that game in week two. So <laughs> uh, at least I was able yeah. to get onto the good players in week one. Wasn't able to manage that so much in week two. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I like lighting money on fire. Uh, that's one of the, my, my favorite things to do in life, apparently, <laughs> when I'm playing DraftKings lineups. But is there any case you can make to fade this game?
1: the 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 case that i would make to fade this game is going to be almost solely based on ownership and then i'm going to talk myself into the narrative that seattle's going to want to keep dallas's offense off the field and revert uh to the way they were in the past and and then we saw kind of the rams had that success in week 1 against dallas just kind of running the ball down their throats um it's a hard narrative to swallow so it's not it's not one i want to go down but it really it really comes down to the ownership um and I think if, if you still want to play this game into chalk ownership, the, the, the other way to think about it is so like last week I was playing a lot of Dallas Atlanta and that meant I could not make lineups where I played all three of Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Ezekiel Elliott. And so I made that Dak rule to make sure I didn't have Zeke with Dak. And that got me a lot more Aaron Jones, who was kind of my leverage play on Devonte Adams. I knew there was heavy ownership on Devonte Adams. I knew that and the combination of the running back ownership through those three guys gonna keep Aaron Jones low. And now if I hit on Aaron Jones in a big way, I can still play these chalk stacks. So that's you got to find that guy. You got to find that sub 10, sub-5% guy that's at the running back or the wide receiver position that has the upside of all these other options. And you got to make sure they're in your lineup. You can still play chalk game stacks, but you need to make sure you have a few low-owned pieces alongside them
2: is there any merit to like the random other pieces here, whether it be David Moore, who I thought was like kind of banged up with the hamstring injury, but uh, apparently he's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't, I don't think so. I, so the way that I think about it in terms of like opportunity set, if David Moore hits one deep ball and that's kind of his ceiling performance, right? Like he's probably not going to hit two deep balls in a game. So let's say he goes like three for 60 in a touchdown. That's 15 DraftKings points. That is not burying anyone in a tournament. That is easily overcomable everywhere else. I just don't think he had even – I don't even know what his price is, but I assume it's not much. I don't think they have the upside to really do it, especially the wide receivers, especially with the condensed target share on, on the Dallas guys. There's nobody on Dallas that even plays in the field a- enough to consider. It would only be Seattle guys. If you were going to do it at a spot, Disley, would, Disley or Olsen would be the guys. Just because the tight end bar to clear – from a production standpoint, is much lower than wide receiver, right? Like, there's so many wide receivers out there in a given week that most weeks 15 or, or, or 10 or 12 isn't going to be enough unless you hit the nuts everywhere else. And so, but some weeks 10 or 12, like we saw week one, a zero almost won the millimaker at a tight end. <laughs> like, the tight end bar is much, much lower to clear. I know that wasn't the case last week. Tight ends went nuts last week. But so if you're going to do it, Disley or Olson would be the guys. But in general, I, I'm I'm... I'm kind of on the focus, guys or not, and hoping one of the focus guys slips through the cracks with ownership. So for me,
2: when I take a look at it, I, I kind of like, I mean, I like Lockett the best out of all of these guys. And I think if I'm going to use a one-off, it would be him. But, like, I really like Allen Robinson at 6200 bucks. Like, he is so set up well for this game against the Falcons. We have a horrific defense but they can score points which is great news i love atlanta's defense spoiler alert once we get down to it but you're gonna force trubisky at least in my mind to throw 40 to 50 times in
1: this game if that's the case i assume i assume you gotta like that atlanta side too that number opened up i think it opened up at three yeah i I, I was surprised by that but i
2: can see like i I don't think i think this is where people get mixed up a lot when it comes to defenses or like i think that the bears could score 35 points and the falcons defense could score 20 like i don't think those things are necessarily mutually exclusive so if trubisky's just gonna be chucking the entire game like i went uh, i was just casually strolling along i was at ftndaily.com looking at the unrealized areas and i was like oh Allen Robinson, it turns out he has like a 71% market share of targets plus air yards on this team. Like his first two weeks should have been huge and they weren't. So now we're in a situation where no one wants to play him because they want to play all these guys in these other games. This could be like a 15 target game for Allen
1: Robinson. Certainly. I think he's a very strong tournament play. I think he will get lost in the mix this week. Um, I think projection systems are probably going to like DJ more. In that range, right? Because you remove a bunch of Christian McCaffrey targets, you make the team a little bit pass happier. And even in a tough matchup, you just have a lot of volume for a player that, if you think about how Carolina's offense is probably going to operate against the Chargers defense that is a very, very good pass rush, they're probably going to try to get the ball out of their hands quickly and into playmakers who can get yards after the catch. And that is more of a DJ Moore thing than a Robbie Anderson thing. Robbie Anderson's a little bit more down the field. So I think DJ Moore will will garner some ownership um, from that group. It'll be interesting to see how people treat like Odell. I mean, Washington secondary is not very good, but nobody wants to play Odell is my guess. I'm guessing nobody wants to play guys against Buffalo. So Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are probably going to have modest ownership. So I think like this whole range around Metcalf and Lockett and Cooper is so interesting because I don't think there's going to be like any ownership there. And every time you click one of these guys into your lineup, even if it's not a Dallas Seattle stack and you're going to be like, oh, I have a hundred left over. I should probably play Tyler Lockett. <laughs> like, like you're just going to get off all these guys the whole time. So I think they're really interesting tournament plays. I think Allen Robinson is the best of the bunch, but I think you can make a case for, all those guys in that range because i think they're going to be so lowly owned and i think that's going to maybe i, I put it this way
2: spoiler alert i'm going to end up fading that stupid dallas and seattle game <laughs> yeah i'm gonna lose all my money this week but it, the one week that it hits true, i see it to work yeah. once in 16 weeks that's all in- that's
1: all that's all playing dfs tournaments is you're just looking for one week one week a year to make up for the whole year
2: but if you really take a close look at that low sixes, you mentioned some of those names. The best matchup of the week, uh, per Jeff Radcliffe's wide receiver versus cornerback, and who and there's a shadow index too to see how much that cornerback is going to be on that receiver. Again, ftndaily.com code Mayo. You find all this stuff pretty easily. But I'll just give some away right now. Keenan Allen has the best matchup of the week yeah. on Jeremy Chin, like one of like yep. the best like. It's not even the best by a little bit. It's the best matchup by a lot of any receiver this week. And it did seem like almost like how uh, Macho Man felt like Hulk Hogan had the eyes for Miss Elizabeth. Uh, Herbert has some eyes for Keenan Allen, almost like how Tyrod kind of liked Mike Williams. Herbert, he likes himself some Keenan Allen. So he has the best matchup. Julian Edelman's going up against LaMarcus Joyner in the slot, and he just gets absolutely torched the entire game. And if you add an Allen Robinson to that mix, why couldn't that be your receiving core?
1: It could. And it will come with maybe combined 15% ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like maybe combined one of the Seattle Dallas wide receivers in ownership, maybe like, yeah, these are, these are good tournament plays. They're direct leverage um, or direct pivots. I shouldn't say leverage direct pivots off of chalky options. And it just, it really depends on how much of the ownership really condenses on those three guys in the Dallas Seattle game. So
2: rest of them, we just talked about like who the, the, the plays are going to be this week. So if we just think about like the rest of the slate, where are the actual value plays popping up? Because I'm just kind of scrolling my mind down here. Like if you hit in the fives, like I, I think Deontay Johnson might be just a better player or a better fantasy yep. option than Juju is. So that you could just play. I, I
1: hope not because I didn't draft it that way, <laughs> but it might be. It might be the case. Um, it certainly could be the case. So yeah, he's... He's, he's a player that I think will command some attention in the fives. Like with
2: no pass rush and a banged up secondary, are we now looking at Darius Slayton as someone who, cause if people are gonna be like, Oh, no, no Sterling Shepard, fire up Everton Ingram, fire up Golden Tate. This is too tough of a matchup for Slayton, but maybe not.
1: Yeah. I think Slayton will certainly be in there. Um, definitely no Shepard. Tate's been banged up too. So it'll be interesting to see how healthy he is. Cause he's, you know, he missed time in week one and, and Slayton's been kind of the guy there. So I think he's he's a big play threat, but I don't think he'll command ownership um, simply because the Giants offense isn't one people are going to want to invest in heavily. Um, you've also got Deshaun Jackson with no Jalen Reader yeah. and everybody playing Miles Sanders. And if Deshaun Jackson hits, let me tell you about how, how things go if Deshaun Jackson hits. They are like three play drives, two play drives, and they suck out all the volume around him. This is like kind of the Tyree Kill corollary as well, where when Tyree Kill has his really big games, a lot of other Chiefs don't have big games around him because their play volume gets cut so much that the reception volume goes down. And so Deshaun Jackson is one of these guys that if he hits, it's immediately a huge ding on someone like Miles Sanders or Zach Ertz, somebody who relies on that play volume. If we go to Deshaun Jackson,
2: he has the second most air yards of any player in the NFL so far. You mentioned <laughs> Rigger's out to, like, December at this point. And if you're going to go after the Bengals, it seems like you can do it anywhere on the field. It would be a good good way to get, like, off the schneid just a little bit uh, to try to connect yeah. on a deep pass at least once. I like that play, and he burned everyone in week one, too. So I'm guessing yep. that people don't want to go back to him. So I like him. Do you know who has the most
1: air yards in the league by a ton? I do not AJ green. Oh, that's right. That's, that's right. That, you know, I totally forgot about the Bengals in general. We were just talking about that game. So I should have remembered, but um, teams that play on Thursday night and like all the Twitter drama about those teams happens Thursday night. And then Friday, you like totally forget whatever happened to them in, in that week. And I know everybody was debating whether AJ green is washed or whether he's a buy low or it is what it is. But I mean, Yeah, there was a lot of opportunity there uh, and not a lot that was catchable. So like, I don't think you can really blame him for a lot of those air yards being left on the field until we see a few more balls that are within range of being catchable. And then we can make assessments on AJ Green. Yeah, well, you have like the you have like this old man tier. It's like AJ Green. No one wants to play
2: Ty Hilton anymore. Although, yeah. you know, he yeah. dropped a touchdown. Like he should have had yeah. a good game, but did. Now he yeah. gets the Jets, who are like the like if you wanted to play like the Colts stack, you could play Pittman in it, I guess, or even play yep. Hines or one of the running backs or Mo Ali Cox if Doyle doesn't play. But yep. I, I just
1: have no faith in Philip Rivers. It's tough, but that is a great. I mean, it is a great, great situation because you expect you expect the Colts to be able to score points against the Jets. You expect there to be some carryover ownership from Jonathan Taylor's performance last week. And you expect there to be almost no ownership on Hilton and Pittman. Um, Molly Cox might get some ownership, as you said, if Doyle sits and, and they just lost Paris Campbell. So there's the potential for the targets tightening. I know Frank Reich's offense has kind of been a little bit more, you know, shared snaps and different things behind Hilton in the past but their opportunity would be there and the price tags are pretty good on all those guys. So I think they're really solid tournament plays uh, as well. I think, I I think, you know, if you want to look at like the chalk, the chalk is the Dallas Seattle receivers. Then I think Deontay Johnson is probably pretty chalky. Um, And then I think all these guys that are around these price tags that are kind of close to them are just going to fall through the wayside. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Pittman at 4,000. I like, uh, is there anyone from like down there? Like Braxton Berrios, does
1: he do it for you? I got some guys. I got some guys. All right, let's hear them. <laughs> um, so I know I know, it was the Keenan Allen show last week, but Mike Williams is 4,300. And I think the Chargers are going to go up and down the field against Carolina. I think they're going to score a lot of points. So I feel like having exposure to Mike Williams, a player who can hit big plays in tournaments, makes a lot of sense. I don't think there'll be ownership there. Uh, Nikhil Harry at 4,200 I think is too cheap for a guy who is is, is probably going to see, you know, decent volume week in and week out, probably somewhere around, you know, six to eight targets each week. Uh, had I think he had double digits last week. I think that'll come down certainly a bit in this matchup against Las Vegas will, where they should be able to run the ball a little bit more effectively. And then I think the guy that everybody's going to talk about this week um, is KJ Hamler at 3,000. Yeah. I mean, like, no, you know, no Cortland Sutton. Hamler looked good. They invested draft capital in him. He's a guy that just needs one play to ch- to change everything. His, you know, his player profiler.com comp is Deshaun Jackson. I think that's who he who he plays a lot like. The question is, will Denver manufacture some touches for him so that there's a little bit of a floor? Because the way the way this type of player typically runs their routes, someone who is you know my size, and I'm not a, I'm not a large gentleman. Um, they usually run them very far down the field or very close to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> There's not a lot in between. So the question is, will Denver manufacture any touches for him? But I think Hamler at 3,000 really opens up a lot of stuff. And then I would also say, you know, in that 4,000 range, Curtis Samuel. Nobody's going to play him. And what if what like what if the Panthers recognize? that this guy who's like been kind of a multi-purpose positional player punt returner does some stuff in the screen game what if they realize hey we can line this guy up in the backfield and get a little bit more explosiveness in our lineup than mike davis and not that he'll get a bunch of carries but maybe they just design some more plays for him in that manner i think that's a very viable way for them to replace some of the stuff they do with christian mccaffrey and nobody's gonna play him. People are gonna play Mike Davis. I think some people are gonna play DJ Moore. I don't think anybody's playing Curtis Samuel.
2: Interesting. I don't think I want to play Curtis Samuel either, to tell you the truth. And I'll probably get I'll probably fade Hamler as well. Just it just maybe I'll go when this bu- when when he busts this week, I'll use him next week.
1: Hamler, I think, is gonna get ownership. And that's that's the tricky part because I think he might end up getting like 10% owned. In a 10% owned guy that has like, you know, in his probably bottom, I don't know, 30% range of outcomes or zeros, you got to be careful with in terms of how 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 you're playing. them. As a general rule
2: of thumb, this is why I didn't end up with Scotty Miller on any of my teams last yeah. week. Like you give me the chalky cheap receiver pass just, yeah. just every time. Bad play. Gonna, it'll it'll even, work out what,
1: 25% of the time? And that's good enough for me to pass on. <laughs> even Corey Davis last week, who it worked with, because he scored a touchdown, it was like 14 DraftKings points or something like that. That's not going to bury you from a 4K wide receiver. And that's that's kind of the thing. Like most of these guys – now, Hamler is a guy that could just because it could be like one or two big plays and he could get like 18 DraftKings points at 3K. But I still I still don't – like I don't think he's a bad fade by any means, if he, especially if he gets 10% owned, and I think there's a chance he does. Let's talk about tight ends. Uh, We've kind of
2: talked about the top of all of these positions. um, And the most expensive is going to be Kittle, whether he plays or not. I don't know. (laughs) Higby's coming off three touchdowns, but apparently, like... The Eagles are the new Cardinals, where tight end, they've, they've got to four tight end touchdowns in two weeks. Like, and Waller coming off the big Monday night game. I think Fant is in a really interesting spot here. If everyone's going to use Hamler, that Fant will just be, he's, he doesn't yeah. have the name value to be priced up yeah. with these guys as of yet. So no one's going to use him. Like you can talk yourself into Ertz or Goddard because there's no regular around. I can see people doing that. Hunter Henry is somewhat interesting, but I, I just like to pay down. So Mo Alley Cox. Go. You can go back to Logan Thomas if you want at 3700 mm-hmm. bucks. Drew Sample against the Eagles yep. without C.J. Uzma around 3500 Everyone will want to use Jordan Reed. But here's the problem with Jordan Reed. He played 26% of the snaps last week. And most of his damage was done with Jimmy G. Not necessarily from Nick Mullins, yeah. who's probably going to start. Like, that feels like a trap.
1: Yeah, the Jordan Reed thing was very frustrating to me because there was a news blurb that was reported, I think, on Friday of last week that in an article that was written by one of the San Fran beat writers that basically said like the team is we got 10 plays for Jordan Reed and that's like a good amount of plays. And, you know, we'll work up to a little bit more, but not too much more than that. We've got a good group of tight ends. And so I literally thought this guy might play 15 snaps. And I was like at 15 snaps, like I just got to remove him from my player pool. Like even if, even if they, you know, even if they're concentrated targets on that, like there's no way he's getting more than like five targets. And I thought he was going to be on. So That was a disaster, Um, and that is the risk. The risk is he's not going to play a ton. The good news is, clearly, when he's on the field, they're going to be running plays for him, (laughs) as we saw last week. Um, So I think he's still in the mix. Um, I, too, like to pay down at the tight end position. I think the thing that I'm struggling with so much at the tight end position is, like, these prices on Zach Ertz and Hunter Henry. are fair are really good. They're really not that much different, especially when Logan Thomas and Molly Cox and Drew Sample, they're not low threes anymore. They're more mid or high threes. These are pretty good prices. And so that's where I kind of struggle. It makes lineup construction a little bit challenging, like that extra, you know, $1,500 kind of goes a long way, but you know, I'd really like to get Ertz and Hunter Henry, those types of guys in my lineups. Now, I also just like those offenses as a whole. So it's hard when you want to play the running backs from those teams to play the running back and tight end from the teams. It just doesn't make sense for tournaments. Um, So I, I will probably have a little bit more spread out exposure here, but of the cheap guys, who do you think has the highest ceiling? Like who do you think can like really, really blow up the slate from the, let's say, you know, let's say 4k and under guys. Based on the
2: target share that these guys get, if there's no Jack Doyle, I think Mo Alley Cox actually has a legit yeah. case to be the number one guy just because of his athletic profile. I don't know if you watch the
1: broadcast, but apparently he played basketball. Uh, I heard I, I had never known. I, I heard that unbelievable. <laughs> this day and age, not knowing that a tight end played basketball, it's incredible. Did he? What did he play? AAU. Yeah, 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 Who even knows at this point? But with him, where he has
2: so much speed and it's like the, yeah. they're just decimated, and it's against the Jets. Like, yeah. and he ended up with over 100 yards last week. He gets a touchdown. All of a sudden, yeah. he's at like 25 DraftKings points. He scores yeah. two touchdowns. He's pushing 30. So, I mean, that's a lot to ask, but you talk about actual yeah. upside. I do think it's him. I, I just think that no one's going to use Logan Thomas after everyone used Logan Thomas last week. And it's a good situation. Mm. He's getting a high. V- the problem with that offense is that they run so slow and. Haskins just makes like he barely t- he'll take two shots with McLaurin downfield and that's kind of it so that's yeah. kind of a bummer but I got one for you John o. Smith popped up with an unknown injury on the injury report on Wednesday oh no one, boy no one knows what it oh, is boy. right now but he might not play well, he mispracticed now maybe, maybe he will end up playing guy. and now we have everyone's most creative way to spell Michael in history Michael Pruitt Twenty five. oh you're going that route 25 you were going
1: with now I thought you were going with the Firkser.
2: No, no, 2500 bucks against the Vikings. It could be Firkser, who's also
1: super cheap. It could be the Frick, Um Yeah, Tennessee definitely likes to throw to their tight ends, likes to utilize them. Um, I think if Johnny was ruled out regardless, because I do think that role would be split between Pruitt and Firkser, it would be a tournament-only play. Oh, yeah, for But, sure. but at 2500 in play, in tournaments. I mean, I think the, the gap between them and the next tier is pretty substantial. Um, you mentioned Mo Alley Cox as the guy with the highest upside. I think I agree with that group. I think him and Logan Thomas definitely have the best athletic profile and the best, you know, target share. But I think I, I trust, and it feels weird to say I trust Philip Rivers. I trust Indy's offense to generate more scoring opportunities than I do Tom Thomas and Washington's offense with Haskins. So I think Cox would be the guy that I would prefer, um, as well to Thomas in those situations, assuming Jack Doyle is out. But, like, Herndon is... Well, that, was, know, that was the one I was going to bring up, because one what tar- do
2: you do here? one
1: target last week. Like, if what you, do you like, do? If you want to go YOLO, why not? I mean, theoretically, in, in, like, a theoretical world, he should be getting targets without Jameson Crowder, without any semblance of a receiving core. Like, theoretically, that should be the case. Um, but last week was just, like, what on earth is going on uh, with the Jets offense? So... I don't know. I will have some in tournaments cuz I don't think he'll be owned, but it is uh it is a tough situation to project that Jets offense. Yeah. I actually do like Sample a little bit. I like Cox the best, but I do like Sample down there. I just they just... I think Sample if he if he gets there it's volume oriented though. Agreed. I don't think he's cracking big plays, but no, it, but, but he could. It could be I like mean,
2: 7 for 75 and yeah. a touchdown, which at 3500 yeah. bucks like sign me I out. I mean, that's a smash. Yeah. Yeah. Tight quarterbacks, sorry. Quarterbacks and stacks. Like yeah. we, we've already talked through the Dallas and the Seattle side of things. Like they're gonna be the, the two highest price quarterbacks, yeah. they're gonna be the two highest owned quarterbacks, at least that would be my guess. If you're not gonna use those two as your quarterback, Kyler, I assume, will be the next highest owned one, and yeah. then probably Cam. That leaves yep. if you wanted an elite pivot, would be Josh Allen, who can run oh, three touch- who can run three touchdowns in on his own. And no one's using Diggs either, but nobody's using Cup and Woods either. Yeah, you, I, golf sucks, so I wouldn't do that. But <laughs> I, no, but I'm saying from a game stack perspective. Yeah, like you, and listen, a revenge game for Robert Woods, you could do worse. Um, but yeah. other than that, there is one sneaky guy here at $5,200. There's actually two, because I think that Nick Mullins is like kind of good, and he's only 5100 bucks. but I can just see them running the yeah. entire time. But yeah. Teddy B at fifty two. So offense runs with a, it runs at a bit of pace. And I'm just interested to see what it looks like without McCaffrey. Because I don't think they're going to turn around and hand the ball off to Mike Davis 25 times in this game. I just really don't. I can see them getting down early. And as Feinberg has pointed out, Chargers love to play to their competition. They play someone good, they they'll look good. If they play someone bad, they'll look bad. Like they're going to get pressure on Bridgewater. He's yeah. going to have to get the ball out quickly. Those two corners are horrendous matchups. But there's just something drawing me to Teddy Bridgewater and just, just this Panthers team in general, like they could
1: have covered each of the past two weeks and fucked it up with five minutes to go. Like, I don't know, just a really terrible play. I like the Panthers offense in general. I think it's a tough week for Teddy because I think the, the, the offensive line concerns against this chargers pass rush is going to be a challenge for Teddy who already takes a lot of sacks. That's been kind of his issue throughout his career. So I think they're going to get a lot of drives stalled out, and I don't expect them to score a ton of touchdowns. So I think their receivers can get there via yardage and catches and volume, but I think the quarterback, you always need the touchdowns. And I just don't know if they can score three or four offensive touchdowns in this game um, through the air. And that's really what you need. Even though he's cheap, you you still need that. So I'm probably off Teddy. I would say – Trubisky? Trubisky is – OK, but the cheap guys that I would look to, um, Carson Wentz is 5,800. He's been awful, just terrible so far. But again, if you want leverage off of the Miles Sanders chalk, you've got a good price on Carson Wentz, and you've got good prices on Ertz and Deshaun Jackson. And that's immediate leverage off against a Cincy team that defensively has not looked very good. And then I think Justin er- uh, Herbert in that game, again, like if you like Keenan Allen, Mike Williams is pretty cheap. Hunter Henry's pretty cheap. Um, Austin Eckler is cheap enough that you could pair him with Herbert as well with the, the passing game. And so Herbert's got a little bit of juice to him with the legs. And so I, I think he's a good sub 6K. Those are the guys that I would probably look to first.
2: All right. So let's talk about these defenses then. I told you I like Atlanta. And it, the numbers don't really match up for me on this one. Usually I just look at adjusted sack rate. For adjusted sack rate against mm-hmm. and that just leads you directly to the Steelers at four thousand dollars because yeah. they are the best pressure yeah. team in football against the second worst offensive line in football that makes a lot of sense uh it's just it's I find it really hard to pay up four thousand dollars for a defense but I, it is. this feels like the first time this year that the defense that is I mean they're not the highest owned but uh for the, the highest price but at four thousand dollars they feel like they should get you like at least 12 points. But I just look at the Cardinals and I just, I just have this game script comes out in my mind. Atlanta gets up early in these games and then, you know, they allow teams to come back in the game. But if that forces Trubisky, like I said, to pass between 40 yeah. and 50 times in a game, I will take any defense against
1: yeah. Mitch Trubisky when he's throwing 45 times in a game. I don't care. <laughs> I would agree with that. I would say the, the, the two teams when I first started scanning that stood out to me, um, that prices I thought were accessible, which I thought pricing on DraftKings defenses was tough this week, um, was the Falcons and the Eagles. Now, our projections don't like the Falcons quite as much. They like the Giants, actually, a, a little bit more, because I guess Mullins has taken a ton of sacks um, in his brief time in the NFL. Um, but they were, but that, that, that was back when the San Francisco I know, offensive I know. line it's was tricky. Trash. But he, he, he took sacks last week, too. So I don't know. Um, but yes, I agree. It's I, I like my instinct is more falcons and eagles. It's like the two mid-tier plays, and then you've been saying it The 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 challenge is there. If if the game plays the way that everybody expects the game to play, they're not going to get a lot of opportunities. But the Jets at two thousand. If you don't trust oh Philip Rivers, oh boy. <laughs> if you don't trust Philip Rivers and you think that game's going to play closer, like. The Jets of 2000 have to be under consideration just because they're cheap.
2: I suppose that's true I was more like it just because it sounds like we've talked about a lot of ways where you can save money on this slate. I don't mind the Washington footballs against Baker Mayfield and their pressure rate at three thousand bucks like no one wants a piece of them because they didn't beat Arizona last week like okay they still sack Kyler three times and chased him around the entire time Haskins not quite as elusive as I've seen as Kyler Murray is and no one wants a piece of them so I don't mind that I'm just looking at the pressure rates right now like like even to look at it like Cleveland and Chicago are both like really high in adjusted sack rate yeah uh, they don't give up a ton of sacks yeah. so that's yeah. interesting if we look the other way and see who the worst teams are you have the giants and actually san francisco's second in adjusted sack rate that, that but can... they just they just lost no i mean like second worst like second both. sorry second, oh. second worst offensive line. Oh, okay
1: yeah
2: so the giants have the worst and the niners have the second worst like could you just take the niners because everyone's out on their team but like they're still going up against daniel jones
1: Yeah. I mean, Daniel, look, Daniel Jones is like a free turnover or two a week. Right. (laughs) So I, I don't, I don't hate it, but it's 3,500 at 3,500. I'd rather play the chargers uh, who I think are going to get a lot of sack opportunities against Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I'd rather play, I might rather play the Steelers too, but yeah, the the 49ers are certainly in range. I just, they did lose a lot of defensive talent last week. I mean, that was, that was a brutal game for injuries for them last week. So how
2: about this? The Patriots, are generating pressure on the quarterback 34% of the time. Derek Carr is Derek, get, is getting he, dropped on 8.7% of dropbacks.
1: But he doesn't take sacks. Like he just does he historically has been very good at because he just doesn't take chances. He doesn't really turn the ball over. He doesn't take sacks. He's been a tough guy to go against and get defensive volume with. That's that's the tricky part. And I would imagine that, that game plays pretty slow, right? Like you would think that we get more of week one New England offense than week two New England offense. Yeah. I really wish the Panthers were able to keep
2: up their pressure rate from last year. That has not been the case so far this year. Cause it'd be like, Oh, a rookie quarterback who
1: just kind of runs around and flings it. Give me that guy. But, yeah. They're uh, one of yeah. our top five values just because of how cheap they are. Them and Houston and the jets. Um, they have the the Eagles
2: put it this way their pressure rate on the quarterback this season is 32nd at 4.6
1: percent. The next closest team is Chicago at 12.8. So bad, so bad. Yeah, I mean, Carolina just totally overhauled the defense, and that's all a bunch of rookies, and it's just going to take some time. Um, yeah, I think the Eagles are like the clear best like mid tier defense, but I think they'll get ownership as a result. Just because like Cincinnati threw the ball sixty times last game, uh, they're gonna they're gonna drop back, and you're gonna get a lot of opportunities, in their home favorite. So I think the Eagles will attract a lot of attention. Um, but I think some of those teams you, you mentioned, I think the Falcons are an interesting pivot for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I like the Falcons a lot just based on the way I think that goes. I mean, I kind of you kind of talk me
1: into the Jets. I mean, you're the one telling me that you think that you don't trust Philip Rivers and you don't want to trust, like, T.Y. Yeah. Hillen or Jonathan Taylor, and it's like, okay, I thought you were setting me up this whole show for the Jets' defense at 2K.
2: No, I just know you're a big you're a big Mitch guy,
1: so I thought I'd try to needle you a little. Oh, bit. yeah, I'm a huge Mitch guy. <laughs> yeah. He's your guy. Real big fan. Real big fan of Mitchell Trubisky and, and the Bears' decision-making all around him. Yeah. But,
2: like, the Jets are getting pressure, which, frankly, surprises me. Cincinnati is also getting a bunch of
1: pressure right now, too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the way to go there because Philly's just look bad. Philly's offense has looked bad. Uh, and that would be a lot of leverage because they're – I mean, Miles Sanders is just going to be so owned. Yeah. I guess the only other way to get some
2: leverage, could you go – and these are two teams that generate like basically zero pressure on the quarterback. Hey, maybe this is the week. Dallas or Seattle? Like there's – yeah, because people have this misconception like, oh, if you give up 40 points, yeah. like if the team scores yeah. 40 points, it could be a
1: return touchdown. It could yeah. be a pick six. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely go that route. Um, I don't think I I don't think I'll have much. I think better ways to get leverage on the Like they should. I mean, if they were 2K, I think it would be different. But 2,900, 2,600 is kind of tough. So I probably won't have much. Um, but yeah, in general, people do have misconceptions about how defenses reach their upside in the thought process of being in low scoring games. It's usually in higher scoring games. Do we know if Tyron Smith's playing this week? Don't know yet. I didn't see I I didn't see a Dallas practice report yet. Because when he doesn't play, Dak takes sacks. He does. Hmm.
2: No, I don't want to do that. That's Seattle's stupid. had that, a hard that, time that that's stupid. Don't do that. Jamal. They've had a hard time
1: generating pressure. I I I I don't think that's the route that I'd go to be contrarian this week. Well Jamal Adams is their best pass rusher somehow. I, that's i uh, I'm not sure if that's a indictment or if that's a you know if if that's a compliment.
2: It's clever scheming, is what it is. So Falcons for me, just lock in the Falcons. If I can find a way to get up to the Steelers, I kind of like that as well, but probably not. Jets, two thousand bucks. I'll just leave like five thousand on the table this week. I'll be good. Drew Dinkmeyer, you can follow him on Twitter at drew dinkmeyer and once again if you go to at drew dinkmeyer on twitter
1: what will they find is your pinned tweet up there at drew dinkmeyer yeah you'll find a pinned tweet giving you all the details there's a little video explaining kind of the purpose and the mission behind the welly maker 4.0 as long as a link that'll uh direct you to the page where you can donate if you'd like to or or learn more about the mission and more about charity water uh in general
2: all right i'm pat mayo you can follow me at the pme twitter facebook and instagram you can check out drew at establish as well all of the stats that i've been talking about today have been coming empowered by ftndaily.com quarterback matchups optimizers the defensive tools that the shadow rates it's pretty amazing stuff ftndaily.com some of them are free you can just go check out like the yards tool other than that some of them are behind the paywall uh Use code Mayo. Get yourself a discount. You just tell them Pat Mayo sent you. You definitely get a discount on that. So I recommend you go check out FTNDaily.com. My cheat sheet will be up on DraftKingsNation.com on Thursday evening or Friday. I'll be back on Friday night to do an update on the ownership and the injury report. Then Sunday, live, 10 a.m. with Brad Evans, be here on the Mayo Media Network. Like the episode, sub to the channel, and rate and review the podcast, all right? Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time.
1: EXPERIENCE!